For those of you that don't know who this young man is, his name is John, John Lincoln. How old are you, John? I'm eight. What grade are you in? Grade two, doing grade three work. Can you tell me one thing that you like to do? Share the Bible. Who's your favorite preacher? Walter White. Last year, when our theme, you know every month we have a theme, a monthly theme. Um, I believe it was in the fall, our theme was ready, set, go. John, what did you think about that? I thought I need to get ready to share the message. So what John started doing through this last winter was listening to a number of Walter Weiss sermons. And uh, he literally took pages and pages and pages of notes. And he wrote down scripture after scripture after scripture. He showed me yesterday four pages of scripture that he wrote down. John has spent hours and hours preparing a PowerPoint about when Jesus comes. Now, John's going to share his presentation with us this morning, and I just want to give a little note here. What you're going to see, John himself has put together. His mom was his typist only, typing down some of his thoughts. All the scriptures John himself arranged. He went to Bible Gateway, found the scriptures he needed, copied, pasted, and put this uh, presentation together. So, John, why don't you share with us this presentation? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Let's have a little prayer. Dear Jesus, help us to get a good thought of, out of this slideshow. What happens when Jesus comes? Yeah. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne in his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, 
as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, a shout with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we shall we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patience, continuance, and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and mortality, eternal life. They are seeking for it, for immortality because they don't have it. Jesus will give the saints immortality when he comes. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible in them, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on corruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. For our mortal, we are mortal. We don't have immortality. Immortality is given when the dead is dead are raised, which is at the last trumpet. But now is Christ risen from in, from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Wave chief, the Israelites would bring the first of their crop and wave it before the Lord. The This represented that they were looking forward to a soon harvest. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second resurrection, second death, hath no power. And they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. But the, pre- the, but the rest of the dead lived 
not again until the thousand years were finished. There are two resurrections. There's 1,000 years between them. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And the And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into a bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on, upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose a little season. And the saint and the slain, slain of the Lord shall be at the day from when end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth they that they shall not be limit neither gathered nor buried they shall be as dung upon the ground all Satan can do is look at the uh, result of his sin Satan can't deceive anyone because there's nobody alive to deceive. I beheld the earth and it was without form and void and the heavens and they they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there is no man, and all the birds of the heavens were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and the the cities were broken down. At the presence At the presence of the Lord. For thus hath the Lord said, The whole land shall be desolate, yet I will, whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end. For this shall the earth 
mourn and the heavens above be black. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Christ comes with the saved. New Jerusalem comes down. Christ stands on the mountain a thousand years. Stands on the mountain. Judgment. Second death and resurrection. Second death and burning. Earth is made new. So this was the part two on there's it's split just for time wise. going to share um, this morning. But John, what about at school? Do you share? I share at school the Bible with my classmates. And you have share time, right? Yeah, I have share time. And when you share, you talk about? The Bible. So John attends our Friday night Bible study at our place. Um, with his mom quite regularly. And we adults, those of you that are part of our Bible study group, you know exactly where I'm coming from. Um, John shares. He puts his hand up, he opens the word, and he shares. And we just smile because <laughs> we are so um, impressed with his knowledge and how he is willing and wanting to share. John, what do you want to be when you grow up? A priest. Pastor. Pastor. Yes, that's what you said last night. Yes. Peace, 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 peace. Peace, peace. Yeah. Um, John has been a true inspiration and a witness to all of us. He has encouraged us with his passion and his love for God. He's eight years old. John. Do you have any final words to share? If I can do it, so can you. Amen. Good morning. How am I supposed to follow up with that? I did not expect that. That was incredible, John. Thank you so much. When I was probably a little older than John, I had an experience quite like this, where I went up in front of the church, and I can't quite remember what it was. Either, I think I did the announcements for the church, and it was such an incredible feeling because the pastor, uh, my senior pastor at the time, he came up and then he called me back on and in front of everyone, he's like, let's just support this young man and what he's doing because it's amazing having him come up and it boosted my confidence so much and it's something, it's a memory that stuck with me and what we've had John do up here, what he's come up and done, I guarantee you is going to be a core memory for him. And that's so amazing to watch a church come together and support such a young, 
faithful mind. That was such a blessing. Such a blessing. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm going to introduce myself soon, but first I'd like to open up with some prayer. So if you bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, thank you for another wonderful Sabbath. It's such a blessing coming out here to Williams Lake, and the journey was amazing. Thank you for my safe travels, and I pray that you will bless this sermon and bless these people, and I pray that you will help us navigate these uncharted waters that we're in. And in your name we pray, amen. All right. Today we're going to talk about, I got a fun little device here. Do I point it right at the TV? Okay. Yeah, it's off. Ooh, couldn't figure that one out on my own. All right. We're going to talk about being uncharted. And if you can see up there, I'm from Mountain View Summer Camp. And this is, this is honestly one of my favorite things in life is this camp. I've spent, oh, this is my 15th summer at Mountain View, if I include my years as a camper. And I absolutely enjoy it. Obviously, you can see I've been there for quite a few summers. And it's an amazing place. And each year, our theme this year is Uncharted, but really every year we go into the camping season, we feel like we are entering into uncharted territories. But before I get into our theme and our verse and all that, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. And then I want to learn a little bit about who I am speaking to. Is that okay? Great. So my name is David Alexander Baker. Um, I love my full name. My mother came up with an absolutely wonderful name. And some things I like, I like to walk in the grass barefoot. It's one of my favorite feelings. Not everyone agrees with me on this point, but when I take my shoes off, they feel so heavy after a day of work, and I go and walk through the grass, and it's just such a wonderful feeling. Um, I have a sweet tooth, unfortunately. It can't quite kick that habit. Shucks. Um, and I like to act, which you could probably tell. But I love to act. So those are some things about me. All right? So... Let me get to know my audience better. I got some questions for you. You can just raise your hand. Who here has been to Camp Hope? Raise your hand. Oh, good. All right. Now, who here has been to Mountain View Summer Camp, either as a staff or as a camper, or even back before when it was Chawathal Camp? Uh, two decades ago about now. Good, still a few number of you. Wow, that's awesome. All right. Is anyone here attending camp this year? Boom, awesome. Well, I should, I should be more specific, Mountain View Summer Camp, and I saw your hand go up, Jude. Nice. Looking forward to see you, bud. Okay, so y'all know what I'm talking about when I say I come from Camp Hope. And most of you know what Mountain View Summer Camp is and what we do. And it is my pleasure to be up here speaking about the, <laughs> the greatest joy in my life. Because this camp, I cannot say it enough, has influenced my life so positively to the point where I believe I would not still be 
a believer in Christ. I would not still be an Adventist if it wasn't for this camp, which has challenged me to pursue God in every aspect of my life. What we're talking about today is experiencing God with all of our hearts. And this is what we do best at Mountain View. It's what we specialize in, is presenting and giving an experience to campers who come each summer for the greatest week of their summer, is we want them to experience God, but not just experience God, we want them to experience God with all of their heart, all of their being. And so our verse today is found in Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. If you'd like to turn to me to Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6 in your Bibles, and we can read it together. And it's an absolutely wonderful verse. Lots to impact here. And this is what it says. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Therefore, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. Like I said, there's a lot to unpack here, but my favorite part of this verse is the very beginning. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. This is an extremely difficult task. Is it not? To me, it seems almost impossible because I like to trust my own actions. I like to do things on my own. I don't want to trust in something else with all of my heart, maybe partially of my heart or most of my heart at times, but all of my heart, that is quite the challenge. But the book of Proverbs, this wisdom book, is telling us you must trust in him with everything that you got. And let me tell you, the staff and even the campers that come to Mountain View are challenged to trust God with all their hearts. Because everything we do at this camp centers around Jesus. And so if we are to have campers come and staff come from all different disciplines and walks of life, we must learn to trust in God with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. When I think of a group that had to do this and had to learn through trial and error, I think most clearly of the disciples, the followers of Jesus who walked with him for over three years and had to learn repeatedly through their mistakes over and over again the true mission of their teacher. Let's look at some examples here. Peter, probably the best example of them all, became the cornerstone of Christ's church. Yet, throughout Jesus' mission um, time here on earth, Peter was rash, he was hasty, he was non-committal, he wanted to commit, but he only committed with part of his heart, never quite really with all of his heart, Right? He was caught denying Jesus when he told Jesus, I will never deny you. We have Matthew. He was considered an irredeemable person in society, a tax collector, the lowest of the low, selfish people that would skim money off the top of the taxpayers for their own uh, greedy reasons. He was calculating, and yet Jesus chose this man to walk with him, to learn, and to change his heart. 
And Matthew gives us one uh, incredibly accurate account of Jesus' walk here on earth in his gospel. James and John, they were known as the sons of thunder. When you think about uh, people who are going to go and change the world and spread love and tell the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, you don't think of two brothers who were nicknamed Sons of Thunder, presumably for their anger issues. But this is who Jesus chose. We have Mary Magdalene, who likely suffered from severe emotional trauma from her experiences in her life, and yet Jesus changed her, and she became a devout follower of him. And the list goes on. These were the core people that Jesus chose to teach, to guide. And when he passed on and ascended to heaven, they took on that mission and did incredible things throughout the world. Without them, we would not be here today. Their influence was beyond what I'm sure any of them thought they could do. And yet, the reason why is because they came to understand that they had to trust in their God with all of their heart and not lean on their own understanding. And at MBSC, this is our goal, to create a safe space where campers ages 17 to 18 can come and ask questions in an environment that they often don't feel comfortable asking such questions, deep questions that trouble their hearts. Because our staff are there. We're open. We've been there. We're still experiencing God in the same way they are. And we don't have all the answers. I can tell you many stories where campers, I've been counseling a cabin, and a camper comes to me during evening worship, and he asks me a question. And I had to sit there and think about it. And sometimes I'll even say, that's a great question. Let me get back to you on that. Because I don't know. These are deep questions that campers feel that they should ask at Mountain View Summer Camp. And it's because they feel safe. It's because they feel accepted. And they want, like the disciples, to experience Jesus with all of their heart. And so I tell them, and I tell the staff too, think of the disciples and think of what they did. If they can do that, why can't you? Why can't you, the youth, do even more things? I think about John coming up here and standing up just eight years old, speaking in front of all you people. That's nerve-wracking. And yet he is up here because he has a faith as probably much bigger than a mustard seed. And he is preaching with all his heart because he's experienced Jesus. It's amazing. There's one story of a camper I want to share with you. And this camper had never been even to a camp before, much less a, a Christian camp. And he came, and he didn't know anyone. He was dropped off. He didn't know any counselors. He didn't know any campers. He had no friends. And he was placed in a cabin with eight other boys. And he was very quiet the first day, and he, he continued to be quiet the days thereafter. And when we would do line call at our flag raising, he would 
be, he was very good. He listened to commands, but he wouldn't say much. He wouldn't say much during meal times. He would do activities, but he wouldn't get very involved. Um, we'd be at worship, and he would sit down in the chair, and all the other campers would stand up because perhaps they had been there before and they knew the songs, and he didn't quite know what to do. It was a different environment for him. About midweek, something began to change. He began to get into the habit of camp, into that mentality of camp. And he began to speak up at meals. He began to plan the theme days with the other campers in his cabin. He began to get involved in the activities. And he even began to stand up in worship and sing the songs on the screen. The counselor was amazed at what he was witnessing within the span of just a few days. This camper had gone to absolutely doing nothing to being involved with everything. On the last night, we put on, well, we put on skits every night, and it all builds up to the most important story of all, the greatest story. That's the story of Jesus Christ. And we present the staff, the resurrection and the death of Jesus, and it's a very touching moment every single time. And it's especially touching for those who have never seen it before. And this camper had never even heard of Jesus, much less seen the story depicted in such a way. Well, worship ends, and the campers go to their cabins. And it's time to get ready for bed. The counselor does a little worship, and he notices that this particular camper is quiet again. And he thinks, oh, well, it is... Been a long day, so he's probably just tired, and they go to bed, shut the lights off, and everyone's sleeping. Everyone except for this one camper who just can't hold back the tears that begin to roll down his face, and he just can't hold back the sobs that are choking him and coming out of his mouth, and he's whimpering out in his little corner bed, and everyone is asleep. But one by one, the campers begin to wake up. And they hear this. And one particularly courageous camper gets out of his bed and walks over to where the noise is coming from. And he realizes it's this young boy. And he, even as a camper, was aware that this young man had been quite quiet before, but then became more energetic later. And now he wondered, what's wrong again? And he asked him, what's wrong? But this sad camper couldn't get the words out. And he just lay there in his bed, crying. One by one, the boys began, Hi, Olivia. Nice to see you. I just talked to your mom. I did not know you lived in Williams Lake. She's like, she's been to camp a lot. Tear, you're not coming back this year. But come back as a staff. Good. I've embarrassed you enough. And so, back to the story. One by one, the other boy campers began to wake up. And they formed a circle around this young boy's bed, and they got him to sit up, but he still wouldn't say anything. And they tried to encourage him, and they were speaking and talking, and finally, the counselor wakes up. And now you would think the counselor would be the first to wake up. But that's not the reality, because we are doing work 24-7, seemingly, and our job is never quite done, and so that beauty sleep is very important. Otherwise, we wake up very ugly and angry in the morning. 
And this was the staff's initial reaction, but he felt a calming spirit overcome him, and he thought, no, maybe I should go check it out. And let me tell you, that is not the first reaction of a counselor being abruptly woken up at 12 a.m. And he got up, and he goes to the circle, and he sees that this quite unusual activity, and he's looking around, and he sees the one camper with tears that have now soaked his face. And this staff has built a rapport with this camper now, a trust relationship, a bond that is unbreakable. And so he goes and he sits down by the camper and he asks, what's wrong? And finally the camper kind of looks up at him, kind of looks down, and he says, well, I, I don't know. I just can't stop crying. And so little by little they get into this camper's story. And I'll tell you some of the details, not all, but basically, this camper had come from a broken home. He had not known such emotional attachment like he experienced at Mountain View. And there were times where his own parents would forget him in dif at, at school. And he would wait there for hours, and it would, he would realize they weren't coming to pick him up. And he would walk all the way home by himself. He felt neglected many times, so many times, in fact, that when he came to Mountain View, the attention was too much for him, and he didn't know how to respond. That's why it took time for him to get into the groove of things. And then when he saw that story of this man who loved, apparently, that one camper so much, he couldn't believe it. How could it be that he would go through all that pain, all that sorrow, and take on the sins of the entire world for just one person. And so he couldn't hold the emotions back that night. And the counselor listened and the other campers listened and finally they were so exhausted by two, three in the morning they went to bed. Everyone except for the counselor. And he couldn't get it out of his mind. I gotta give these boys something. They've experienced this am amazing emotional experience together, I gotta give him something before they go home. And he's going through his Bible and he's looking through and he finds this verse in 2 Corinthians. And it's, it's 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4. And <laughs> he spends the, almost half the rest of the night looking through, through different books and he comes across this verse at the beginning of 2 Corinthians. That's what I said. And he wakes up in the morning, gathers his, his campers together, and he says to them, first, I got a verse for you, and I want you to pay attention to this verse. But first, I just want to tell you how proud I am of you for coming around and supporting each other. This is what it means to be a believer in Christ, because we can't do it alone. We need to uplift each other. And then he read this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble themselves with the comfort that we have received, with the comfort by, oh, sorry, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts all of us. And when we experience that with all our heart, when we lean on God's understanding and not our own, we, get, we begin to understand how we can comfort others. And that's what those little boys experience. That's 
what we do at Mountain View. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power, love, and self-discipline. This camper, I can't guarantee you that he remembers the names of the campers, the names of those, that counselor. I can't guarantee that he remembers that verse up there on the screen, or maybe even everything he did at camp. But I know for a fact he has not forgotten that I know that counselor hasn't. And it's important that we experience church together. C.S. Lewis, considered one of the many great apologetics, apologists of our time, was not always a devout Christian. He was a severe atheist, and when he converted to Christianity, he studied God intensely and was very uh, theologically sound and would study his Bible and, and, and commentaries of the Bible and whatnot. And when he first started to go to church, he disliked it very much. It was boring to him. He already knew what the preacher was saying and he felt like he wasn't getting much out of it. And so he said this in one of his books. He began saying, I dislike their hymns, which I considered to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. But as I went on, I saw the great merit in it. I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different educations. And then gradually, my conceit began to peel off. He continues saying, I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth-rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew from me. And then I realized, seeing this man of a different education, of a different walk of life, singing with all his heart, C.S. Lewis realizes that even he wasn't fit to clean those boots. When you realize that, it gets you out of your solitary conceit. That, that solitary place where you think that you can have a relationship with Jesus and experience Jesus with all of your heart on your own. Fortunately, C.S. Lewis, he persevered and he continued to go through church. Just like that camper in my story who persevered and continued and, and did the activities he pushed through, and because of that, he experienced Jesus, not just by himself, but with many other campers around him. That is what God does. Oh, no, okay. We're not going to work anymore. No, it's on. Thank you. Okay, forget it. <laughs> Our, our verse today in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on, on your own understanding. Such a beautiful verse. Um, in 1972, a famous songwriter named Bill Withers moved from his little town in uh, West Virginia, 
and he moved to Los Angeles, this big city, and he moved there, and he was all alone, and he felt sad and almost depressed because he had left behind everything he loved to pursue his dream. And he was a singer and songwriter. In 1972, he wrote a very famous song called Lean On Me. How many here know this song? Quite a few of you? Oh, good. We're going to sing the chorus together. And it goes, lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. No, it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. Beautiful. And he wrote that while he was alone, because he was missing that community, that community that we bring together. It's such a blessing to be here in Williams Lake. I'm going to be honest with you. I did not expect this big of a welcome. And I was naive and ignorant because I come from Abbotsford. Okay? And it's so amazing. It just puts a smile on my face to see all of you here, to see these pews filled out. It's a beautiful thing. God tells us to lean on him. Do not lean on your own understanding. Lean on God when you are sad, when you have no one else to lean on. I'm going to share one more story of a camper. A little bit of a shorter story. This camper was very excited. I think it was about their second year at camp. And they were doing a new activity. And in this activity, you climb up a wall, and there's a bunch of rock, rocks going up that you can put your feet on and grab onto. However, he was young and still very nervous. And so when the instructor taught them how to put their safety harness on and um, the right commands to ask and whatnot, he felt not very much better. And so he sat over at the end of the line, and all the other campers who were much more eager to go went up the wall, and he watched them all go up the wall and come down, and he figured, well, if I just sit here and watch, maybe my nerves will go away. Unfortunately for this camper, the exact opposite happened. As he watched campers go up and then fall, he began to realize, my oh my, I'm going to go up and I'm going to fall. And so he sat there and sat there until the very end of the class and until the instructor, she turns to him and says, hey, would you like to try? And he looks at her and he he wants to try so bad and he says, and she says, come on over here and we're going to get you up on that wall. And he walks over and she straps him in and she says, you remember your commands? He says, yeah. And he gives the commands and she says, okay, well, you're ready to go. Start climbing when you feel like it. And he comes right up to the wall, and he's looking up, and he can barely see the top. It, and at the top, he knows there's this little cowbell. And if you ring the cowbell, that means you made it all the way successfully. And he looks up, and he's just standing there, and he hears a voice behind him say, grab that red one just above you. And he sees it, and he goes and grabs it. And then he pulls himself up, 
and he grabs another one over here. It's yellow, and he grabs that one. And before he knows it, he's climbing up this wall, and he has his whole body on this vertical wall, and he's gaining confidence, and he thinks, wow, I can do this. And he keeps climbing, foothold and handhold after foothold and handhold, and He's starting to get tired and sweaty and clammy, and he gets about halfway up the wall, he figures, and he takes a pause, and he decides probably do the worst thing you could do in such a situation, and he looks down. And when he looks down, the height doesn't scare him as much as the faces he sees staring up at him, wondering, wow, when is he going to fall? And he starts to get even sweatier. And he knows he must keep going. And again, he hears a voice from down below. Keep going. You're almost there. And so he looks up, and he sees a really good hold right there. If he can just push himself up, jump a little bit, and reach, he can get that hold. And so he sums up all his courage, and he goes down, and he pushes up, grabs it, but he's too slippery, and it slips out of his hand. And he closes his eyes, and he falls And then he opens one eye, and he looks, and the wall is still staring right at him. In fact, it's the same hold staring right at him, and he's just hanging there by this rope that he had totally forgotten about, was there to keep him safe in case he had fallen. And he doesn't want to stop. He wants to keep going, and so he grabs back on the wall, and finally he gets back on there, and he keeps going knowing now that if he does slip and fall again, the rope is going to catch him. And he goes and he goes and he slips again and he falls and he gets back on that wall and he goes and he goes and he slips again and he falls, but he gets back on that wall and he goes and he goes and he sees right there in front of him is that cowbell and he takes his hand and he gives it a big slap and it rings across the, um, the building and he jumps off the wall and glides down like an angel. And he gets down to the bottom, and everyone's clapping, cheering him on. Great job. We knew you could do it. And he turns around, big smile on his face, and he makes eye contact with that staff member who encouraged him, and he realizes, I could not have done any of that without her. If she didn't encourage me, if she didn't catch me when I fall, if she wasn't there for me every step of the way, there's no way I would have been able to do any of that. I stood there at the base of that wall, and I thought, I got to do this all by myself. He was leaning on his own understanding, trusting in his own actions. But little did he know, if he had just trusted in her from the beginning, the journey would have been much, much easier. Where are you in your climb of faith? I love telling this story to campers. And I ask them, where are you in your climb of faith? Are you right there at the bottom of the wall, just starting your journey, just getting to know Jesus, and you're nervous about all the other people you've seen who have done the same journey but have slipped and fallen? Or have you started that journey and you're getting up the wall and you're halfway up the wall, looking up, looking up, towards your goal, or are you halfway up the wall looking down at all the other people looking at you thinking, what are they doing? They're crazy. They'll never make it to the top. Are you slipping and falling? Is God catching you over and over again? You feel like you're not making any progress? Or are you reaching the top feeling victorious because you made it? 
in your spiritual journey? And are you starting that journey again, going up another wall and another wall and another wall? Because let's face it, our journey with God, that never ends. That's eternal. Where are you on your climb of faith? Everything we do at Mountain View Summer Camps centers around Jesus. Whether that is eating a meal, whether that is shooting a bow and arrow, whether that is just being with other campers during free time and their counselor, everything centers around Jesus because we want our campers to experience God with all of their heart. We want them to learn to trust God, to lean on God so he can make their path straight. That's our goal. We want them to become addicted to having these God moments that they experience at the end of every week. We want them to pursue God. We get kids from all over the place. I'm trying to think if there's anywhere higher from Williams Lake that we get campers from. Um, a few from where? Chet Chetwin, that's right. We have kids coming all the way up from up north there. That's crazy. <laughs> okay, maybe to me it's crazy. And they come to experience God. And I've been a staff enough, and I've been a camper enough to know that no kid should go without this experience. There should be no child that's left behind. But it's not that simple. I was at Williams Lake with Emma today. Uh, yesterday. We were promoting the Mountain View Summer Camp. And something that always comes up, and it breaks my heart, is, well, I can't afford it. How am I supposed to afford this camp? They're just kids, and some of these kids come from homes that simply, they can't. They can't afford to have their kid go out for a week. They can't afford this life-changing experience where their kid can go to a safe place and ask questions they've never asked before and get answers in, in, in genuine, pure ways. And that's why, part of the reason why I'm here. I want to inspire you to support a kid. There are kids at Williams Lakes who want to go. I spoke to one child there, and she's so sweet, but she just can't afford to go. And it doesn't take much to support these kids. And if we pitched in a little bit, then she could go and have that experience. Proverbs 22, 6, train a child in the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not depart from and camp is a big part of that experience. Anyone is welcome at camp. Anyone. Jesus accepted everyone and anyone. Think about the disciples. Jesus accepted that young boy who didn't know him at all, who came from a broken home. He accepted him. He accepted that camper who wanted to climb but didn't know how to trust. He accepted him. In my own journey, I've made mistakes, and he's accepted me. So let's send our kids to Mountain View. 
Let's give them experience so they can understand and come to know that Jesus accepts them. We're going to close with this song, Like a River Glorious. So please stand and sing with me. It's page 74 in the hymn book. you feel compelled to support some of our campers, both Emma and I will be at the back after the service. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for blessing us with such a place as Mountain View. It's your place. It's a holy place. It's amazing to be there 
and see the change that happens and over short term and long term we see the growth of kids who come turn into teenagers and youth and even eventually young adults and they grow up with Jesus and they stay with Jesus and it takes all of your people to make that happen so continue to bless us continue to be with us Continue to guide us through these uncharted waters where we don't know where we're going. We don't know where the next handhold is on that climb. Guide us. Keep us safe when we fall. In your name we pray. Amen.